Well, we're going to enjoy God's Word together as part of our honoring of Him today as our Father, and we're going to honor our dads as well in this time. As Kassan sang that special song for us a moment ago, which was so beautiful, some of the words that she sang went like this. There are watercolor ponies on my refrigerator door and the shape of something I don't really recognize. Brushed with careful little fingers and put proudly on display, a reminder to us all of how time flies. They look a little less like little kids every day. Oh, the pleasure of watching the children grow. It's mixed with a bitter cup of knowing the watercolor ponies will one day ride away. If you are a parent whose kids have left the home and are out on their own and have families of their own, you know how true this song is, right? And how quickly this happens. That the little ones, they ride away. I was reminded of that. As uh, most of you know, uh, Lisa and I had a water damage at our house back in December. And so there were places in the corners of our house where we had stored stuff that we didn't remember. But they all had to come out. All those boxes had to come out. And in the course of, of that, we rediscovered a box that had a bunch of our kids' stuff in it from when they were really little. And so uh, I was looking through that box, and uh, Kassan's song reminded me of this. I don't really know what this is, but it was our son Brad who drew this when he was a little guy before school. And this is uh, an Easter card that our daughter Amy made for me. (laughs) That's a a rabbit, folks, if you didn't know that. And just a reminder to me, these are are watercolor ponies. They're not ponies, but they're watercolor reminders to me of how quickly time flies because – Amy is now 30, and Brad is 29, and they have children of their own. And so I'd like to talk a little bit about that with you dads who still have, and moms, but dads especially on this special day, who still have children at home. I'd like to just focus our attention there and begin by saying to you that there is a clock ticking at your house. It's not ticking at my house anymore. Kids grown and gone, but it is ticking at your house if your kids are still at home with you. And it's counting down the years and the months and the days that will bring your children to that inevitable and very normal moment when they will leave your house. They will leave your home. They will go out on their own, head off to college or or into the workforce or, or maybe into the military. That day, dads is fast approaching. They will make that rite of passage out of your home and out from under your direct influence and they will begin to chart their own course and make their own way. I want to ask you, Dad, do you ever ponder how much time you actually have to be the primary influencer in your children's lives? Do you think about that right now? Some of you have newborns and preschoolers And you think it'll never end. That's where you're at in this moment. Some of you, though, um, your kids are growing and and you you begin to pull up a number. I think I've got eight years left with my daughter before she's going to head out. Uh, I have four four years with my son before he's going to leave the home. And for some of you, at least one mom in this room I know, the hour of departure 
is at hand. It's at the end of this summer. It's here. Now, whenever that time comes for you, it is reasonable to assume that your greatest opportunities for regular and consistent input into your children's lives will have passed. For sure, Lisa and I, we still have moments, though our kids are 30 and 29 and on their own, when we can impart our life, we can impart our faith, our values, our counsel, the wisdom that comes with years lived uh, into our kids' lives after they've left home. We still get to do that, but we're never able to do that like we did when they were at home with us. And and by the way, this is an FYI that's just been learned uh, after the fact for me, but do not think, moms and dads, that you have your kids till they're 18. Um, you really don't have that. They are beginning to unhook from you a few years before that. Um, so if you think you've got them all the way up to 18, that, that, that's probably not the best way to think because they are, uh, and this is what healthy birds do when they fly the nest, they begin to unhook from you before that time. And they begin to spend less and less time with you, more and more time with their peers and their circle. And so uh, whatever number you just thought about for how much longer your kids are in your home, Back that off a little bit because that's the real deal right there. Your most impactful, effective fathering years, whatever they are down to in this moment, they are precious to you and you want to take full advantage of them because the watercolor ponies, they really do fly away and much more quickly than you might ever imagine. So dad and mom, can I ask you, What do you want to make absolutely sure that each of your kids leave home with? That's an important question, isn't it? When when you're standing on the front porch with your arm around your wife, dad, and tears of joy mixed with an unmistakable ache are beginning to pool in the corner of your eye as you wave goodbye to your daughter as she drives off in her first car, packed full with all of her college stuff, What things do you want to be sending with her that don't fit in a suitcase? What things do you want more than anything else to be sending with your son as he heads out? Things that won't fit in a duffel bag. You see, I'm not sure that when we're in the throes of our parenting, the day-to-day demands of making a living and meals, and refereeing the the sibling arguments, and the trips to the soccer field, and the trips to the ER, and going on that roller coaster ride with our kids through puberty, and and 10,000 other things that parenting entails. In the day-to-day raising of your kids, I'm not sure how many of us think about what will be in the suitcase of their heart on the day they leave home. And so for that reason, on this Father's Day, would you mind if for just a few moments we, we do think about that together? On your note page, I have listed eight truths. There are certainly many more that you would want to add to this list. But here are eight truths that are taken straight from God's Word that as a Christian mom and dad, we would deeply desire that our, our children genuinely understand these truths. They deeply own these truths before the watercolor pony rides away. And at the risk of stating the obvious here, as you look down this list of truths, these truths can't simply be passed on to your kids 
uh, in lecture form or uh, in verbal sermonettes or merely with words. They must be lived out and modeled and demonstrated by you in the course of doing life. And you must model these in very conspicuous ways for them. We all will articulate these truths to them as opportunity allows and when it's appropriate. But most of the things that, that fit that don't fit in the suitcase, they're not things that you preach. They're things that you practice. And then your kids catch that and begin to value those things the way you do. You already knew that. So on the day that watercolor pony is going to ride away, our sons and daughters are going to leave home. And here's just eight things that we want them to leave home with. First, on your note page, before all else, of course, we long for them to have at a very early age a genuine personal understanding of and possession of salvation through faith in Jesus. Yes? Before anything else, Dad, Mom, this is what you want for your kids. There is no higher hope, no higher aspiration that you could possibly have than that they would know Jesus. It is the plea that you made to God even before you met your sons and daughters for the very first time when they were still in the womb. Perhaps you were praying, Lord, may this new life grow to love Jesus and understand that he died for them and paid their sin debt they could never pay and by his resurrection guarantees their eternity with him. Abba, Father, may they one day have, not just in their heads but in their hearts, the truth of an Acts chapter 4, verse 12. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved other than the name of Jesus. And may they believe with a genuine faith the words of Jesus when he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. May they own that truth in the deepest part of their heart. Now living as we do, mom and dad, in a time and in a culture where where the words tolerance and open-minded acceptance seem to drive the day, you know that it is going to be an increasingly difficult challenge for you to impart this truth to your children. Phrases like salvation in no one else, no other name, no one comes to the Father except through me. Those are extremely unpopular, narrow, intolerant statements as viewed by our culture. As never before, you will need to live your love for Jesus boldly and counter this accommodation theology that pervades our culture. You'll confront your children with the truth of Jesus and you will communicate Him and the truth that there is no other way. There is only one way and His name is Jesus. And when they, talk, when they walk out the door to forge a life on their own, this is what you want them to have deeply in their heart. Jesus. I know that's what you want. That's the first of these truths. But let's see what else we will want our kids to take with them. It won't fit in a suitcase. How about trust? How about trust in God? Our go-to scripture for this particular truth comes out of Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6. And moms and dads, we know this passage well. You suppose we could just read it as a church family right off the screen? Let's do that. Trust in the Lord with all your heart 
and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make straight your paths. Do you believe this? I know that you do. Here, of course, we are not thinking about trust in God that leads to salvation in Jesus. But here we're talking really about that deep-rooted conviction that God is and wants to be involved in every aspect of our lives. Trusting in God for our life as we live it day to day. That's what these verses are talking about. Our kids are not always going to feel like their God is actively involved in their life. They're not always going to feel that that, that God is there. They'll feel at times like God maybe has stepped out or he's grown silent. They can't see him. They can't hear him. They will feel alone. And that's when they will need to be willing to trust God. Faith in his involvement in their lives, even when they cannot see it and they do not feel it, they don't hear it. You try to put that in a suitcase. That won't happen. That happens here in the heart. In your life, Dad, Mom, when is the greatest trust called for from you? The greatest trust in your God. It's when God seems to have gone silent and circumstances get tougher and tougher and more desperate and more desperate. There are times when we see no rhyme or reason for the things that we are experiencing and we don't understand. And that is when our kids are going to watch us with the greatest intensity to see if the trust that we talk about is the trust that we actually practice. Do we really trust God? You can't teach that, but you can put it on display for them to see. It's trust of the kind that we see, for example, in Daniel chapter 3, when Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are thrown into a blazing furnace in defiance of King Nebuchadnezzar and his, his order to worship an idol. And they stood before the fiery furnace, and they stood before the king, and they said, we're not going to bow down. Daniel 3.17, if we're thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to save us from it, and he will rescue us from your hand, O king. But even if he does not, we will not bow to your gods. We trust God. We will live or die with him. What a great story that teaches the truth about trust in God. Or think about Daniel. Defies the king's law to not pray to to any God except one that he has named. And for that, he's thrown into the lion's den. But he'll trust God no matter what. Mom and Dad, maybe we'll help our kids to trust God more if we will memorize with them, for example, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, and if we will tell them about the fiery furnace, and we will tell them about Daniel's lion's den, and and other stories in Scripture that speak of trusting God. Share often with them how we trust God in our lives so that when they drive off one day, leave our home, they'll do so with a genuine trust in their God who is big enough to take care of them. Next on your page, oh, that our kids leave home with a clear understanding of the truth about consequences. Yeah? You want that for them? You want them to have this truth? How about Galatians 6, verses 7 and 8? How do they read? Under the inspiration of the Spirit, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also 
reap consequences. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption, but the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. What the Holy Spirit is speaking about here is the fact that that there is a truth. There is a one-to-one relationship between choices and consequences. Actions set in motion consequences. And when those actions are good and right and God-centered and not centered on, on self, the consequences turn in good and right directions and blessing comes to others and honor comes to God. But when those choices and actions are centered on self and and concerned only about the moment and instant gratification, the consequences are not good. There is corruption, the verse says. And certainly God is not considered, much less honored. Oh, that our children could get this truth settled early into their life and that it would go deep. Maybe one of the ways that we could help them is to memorize with them these two verses. Mom, Dad. Make sure your kids know these two verses and have them in their heart. Why is that important? Well, I think of Psalm 119, verses 9 and 11. How can a young person stay on a path of purity? By living according to your word. Ah, I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. As a mom and dad, very practical way to help encourage this truth, to build it into your kids' lives, memorize this passage with them. And bring it to their mind often. And then dad and mom, when it comes to cultivating this truth, really be aware of something called the rescue trap. It is possible for a child to live their whole life, grow up and even go beyond the time that they are in your home, rarely having experienced the consequences of their actions because mom and dad were always rescuing. Am I talking truth? Yeah? You've seen this. You've seen kids for whom this has been true. In the arena of parenting, this is going on all the time around us. And by well-meaning parents, we desire to protect our kids in the short term from the, the pain or the hurt or the loss that stems from poor choices that they have made. Not realizing that the long-term false reality of how life works that we are fostering within them as we rescue them. There are kids who can grow to adulthood rarely having experienced the consequences of their sin. And every choice has a consequence, doesn't it? That's Family Physics 101. As a dad or a mom, we can help our kids graduate from that class with straight A's. How? By encouraging them, by helping them memorize the scriptures. And by allowing them to experience the consequences of their choices. Letting them realize the rewards of their good choices and their obedience. And letting them experience the pain of their selfish and sinful choices. It's okay if they do that. When we don't do that, we undermine this truth in their life. We want our kids to leave home with this truth. That there are consequences. Another truth we desire for them to leave home with is the truth about authority. Mom and dad, your kids need to understand that there are authority structures in God's world and these authority structures have been placed there by him for their good. Several years ago, there was a film that came out that was very popular. It still gets reruns on television today. The title of the film was Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Ah, you know this film. Yeah? 
You, you laugh. Then you know the story. The, the film portrays a high school kid who ditches school and his whole reason for being seems to revolve around outsmarting the authority figures in his life. His parents, his school officials, the, the city government, you name it, Ferris Bueller is trying to deal with it and outsmart it. And of course, as is the way with Hollywood, he comes out the hero, doesn't he, for all those actions. What the film doesn't portray is that at the heart of Ferris Bueller's day off is a stinking, ugly pride and a a, a consuming selfishness, a rebelliousness, a pride that disregards authority, that promotes lying and deceit as acceptable, and it's okay if other people get hurt as you pursue your, your plan. Interesting that of the seven things that God says he hates in Proverbs chapter 6, pride tops the list and lying comes in a close second. Hollywood doesn't tell our kids that. Our Bibles tell us that God has created us for us four major authority structures. And these are ultimately subject to him. He has put them in place in our lives in order to help us, to protect us, to bless us, to benefit us. Our kids need to know about them. What are they? Civil government, the church, the family, and the workplace. Romans chapter 13, verses 1 through 7, says that the governing authorities that exist around us exist and were established by God to provide and protect protect us in a sin-filled world. Our government is designed to bring order. It doesn't always do that greatly. We may not agree with everything our government does, but we are to submit to the governing authorities because God has put them in place in our lives. Our kids need to know that. Within the church, elders, deacons, pastoral leadership, they're all put there to bring order and help promote unity and and spiritual progress in the lives of the people of that church family. The Holy Spirit has much to say about this issue of authority and submission in the life of the church in First and Second Timothy, Hebrews thirteen seventeen, Ephesians 5 and 6 clearly show us an authority structure within the Christian home. A husband who is the head. A wife who is an equal partner, but who willingly submits to the loving leadership of her husband and then children who obey their parents and honor them. It's all talked about there. There is a structure. And then in Colossians 3.22 and following, it talks about authority structures in the workplace and the need for God's people to be the very best workers they can possibly be, submitting to their bosses so as to reflect and represent Jesus well. And an important point that emerges from each of these four contexts, government, church, home, and work, is that the authority position is to be respected, even if the person who's in that position isn't worthy of respect. Right? Because it's the position. Our kids need to understand that. And not to put too heavy a burden upon you, mom and dad, but they are going to learn about submission to authority figures in their lives by watching you submit to those authority figures. That's how they're going to learn this. If they don't learn how to respond to authority within their home as they're growing up, they're going to have great difficulty creating an orderly home of their own one day. They need to see it and live it with you. 
They will chafe and complain in work relationships if they don't understand authority there. They will bring strife and contention to their church relationships if they don't understand authority within the church. And they may end up even dealing with law enforcement if they don't understand the authority structures in government. You want your kids to leave home with a solid understanding of authority in their life. And then as well, near the bottom, you want them to have a genuine understanding of doing what is right simply because it is right. I want my kids to grow up understanding there are times in life when the only reason for doing some things is because it's the right thing to do. This is a truth that is fast fading in our culture today because of the great priority that's placed upon everything having a personal payoff, right? It will, I will do something if, if it has an emotional payoff for me. I will do something if it has a relational payoff for me or a financial payoff for me. And many times, the, if the payoff isn't immediate, if, if it will take too long to realize the benefits of doing something, even the right thing, well, then it's not done. But we want our children to really understand that there are things that need to be done simply because they're the right thing to do. It's the right thing to do. And there may not be a personal benefit. There may not be an immediate payoff. It's just the right thing to do. Honesty. Integrity, keeping your word, humility, commitment, compassion, tenderness. These are always right. James 4.17 calls us to account here. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is what? Your kids. My kids need to know this truth. A paraphrase of this verse might go something like this. Right is right, even if no one else is doing it. And wrong is wrong, even if what? If everybody's doing it. It's still wrong. Our kids must know this, and we must live this for them. If they've made a commitment to do something or to be somewhere, they need to be there. They need to be there. Because their, their word is on the line and, and respect and honor of other people is, is in play. It's the right thing to do. If, if they have homework, they may not get excited about that homework or the payoff because it's not immediate. But they need to understand it's the right thing to do because their knowledge and their character is going to be built one assignment at a time. If a family member is sick or incapacitated, they need to pick up the slack in the family and do more than their share because why? It's the right thing to do. It's what's needed in the moment. And we sure want them to understand this truth before they get married because there will be times in a marriage when the honeymoon feeling vanishes, right? Times when the loving feelings are hard to come by and the only thing that will hold that marriage together is commitment to doing the right thing. I said I will love you for the rest of my life. It's the right thing to do. The examples are endless. Doing what is right, even if no one else is doing it, is a treasured virtue to God and a great truth to impart to our kids. But like all these other truths, we must model this if we want our kids to leave home with it. Does that make sense? Yeah? You flip your note page over quickly. Something else we want them to take with them is a genuine reverence for God. 
This is a truth captured in such places as, for example, Psalm 111, verse 10. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. All those who practice it have a what? A good understanding. And really, it's a good understanding of how life works. His praise endures forever. And there's other verses, many of them, dozens of other verses that, 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 that communicate this truth. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of real wisdom and understanding. Now, the fear, fear, the word here that is used is not fear in the sense of, of cowering bef- like, a, like a dog cowering before a, a cruel master. That's not the kind of fear that's being talked about. This is fear in the sense of a deep reverence that comes from recognizing the power and the holiness and the awesome otherness of our creator, sustainer, God. It is our kids really grasping the greatness of God that he deserves to be first in their lives because he's he's God. Today we hear frequently, especially in this election year, People talk about our nation and the direction that we're going and folks are shaking their head and they're saying, man, what's gone wrong? Where did America go wrong? The answer to that is really easy. Here's where we went wrong. We as a people no longer fear God. True? Absolutely true. We do not fear God as a nation We like to think that our nation was once a Christian nation, but I'm not sure that we were ever truly a a Christian nation. Our founding fathers were were mostly deists. They weren't transformed through a personal faith in Jesus, but our founding fathers did believe in God, and they reverenced him. They feared him. Now we collectively shake our fist in his face. We legislate sin. We call evil good, and we call good evil. There is no fear. Mom and Dad, we want our kids to reverence God, don't we? We want them to have that truth, to be overwhelmed by his power and his person. You never want your kids to to hear in you anything in your words or see in you by your actions, anything that conveys to them the message that God is optional that he is a convenience that can be dismissed or invited into your life as need demands or requires. They must catch from you in word and action the deepest and most profound respect for God. They must know that you know that your God is three times holy, that angels cover their faces in his presence. They need to know that, that that. You desire to bring all of your life under Him. You can't talk about that so much as live it out for them. Help them leave home with the truth about reverence in the heart. Seventh, we want to send them on their way with the truth about fruitful service. Jesus was speaking to His followers one day and He says to them, You did not choose me, but I chose you to go and what? Bear fruit. Fruit that will last. Jesus said that you and I were made to bear fruit. Our kids, moms and dads, they have a chance as God enables them to make an indelible impact upon their world. 
wherever God in his sovereignty ends up putting them. They have the opportunity to leave eternal marks upon the lives of others with the power of the living God in them and working through them. But here again, how will they learn this truth that they were made and loved and saved by God to be fruit bearers? Really learn and understand that unless we as a, as a dad and as a mom are modeling this for them. We are bearing fruit for the king. Interesting thing about fruitful service is that you can't talk about that. You can only live it out. Agreed? You can't talk about it. You have to live it. Your kids will need to see you living that out, sharing your faith with people who don't know Jesus, helping the helpless, perhaps seeing you teaching a Sunday school class or, or serving in Awana or, or leading a life group Maybe you'll be up front on the stage. Maybe you'll be behind the scenes where, where hardly anybody sees that. But one thing for sure, your kids will see it. They will know if you are involved in fruit bearing or not. And the other thing about fruit, fruitful service is that it's going to require your time. <laughs> and it's going to, to require a certain amount of risk for you to place yourself in, in these spots of service. You're going to have to go to, into arenas that you may not feel comfortable with and risk. And it will certainly take your time. Your kids need to see that. They need to see you step out in trust and abandon the safe place and be available for God to bear fruit through you. This was definitely one of the truths Jesus was getting at on the day that he told a parable in Matthew chapter 25 about three servants who were entrusted with an amount of money by their master. They were to take the money that was given to them called talents and they were to invest those talents and bring a yield from the investment. Two of the three did precisely that. They took the master's money. They invested it wisely. They worked. They risked. And there was a reward. The third guy buries his talent in the ground. If you remember the story, the master returns and he gives back the master exactly what the master had given him thinking he had done a good thing. The master was bitterly disappointed in that third servant because he had been given a, 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 an amount of money to invest, a talent, and he didn't. He let it go to waste in that way. But to the other two, Jesus says in the story that the master said to them, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Now, Dad and Mom, I know that you want to hear those words from Jesus, right? But I also know you want your kids to hear those words from Jesus. They've been given talents. They've been given gifts and abilities by God, and he gave them these for the enlarging of his kingdom. Where will they learn the truth of bearing fruit in the service of their Lord if you do not show them in practical terms through your faithful service how that happens. Send them off with this truth in their heart. And then one more, though there are many more, one more truth you'll want your kids to take with them, and that it won't fit in a suitcase either. It, it, we'll just call it generous giving. As the Apostle Paul passed on practical instruction to the church at Corinth, the Holy Spirit led him to write these words. 
out of 2 Corinthians 9. Remember this. Remember this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also what? Reap generously. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. This is something we want our kids to understand before they leave home. God does not need us to give to Him, but we need to give to Him. Right? We need that. Oh, that our children would know that everything they have been given has come to them from God first. It's on loan to them to steward for Him. And this is so important because it will define and direct how they will look at their material possessions, how they will look at money. They need to be generous givers so they will always be protected from the power of their possessions to possess them. If you're willing to give it away, it does not own you. They need that. When they give generously, they'll be declaring that God is their supplier. He's their caretaker. They'll not clutch tightly, but will liberally say, I can give today because I can trust my God for tomorrow. Oh, that our kids would know this. I'm reminded of the poor widow that the Holy Spirit makes sure you and I never forget about in Mark chapter 12. Do you remember her story? Here's how it goes. Verse 41, Mark 12. And Jesus sat down opposite the treasury and he watched the people putting money in the offering box. Many rich people put in large sums. And a poor widow came and put in two small copper coins which make a penny. And he called his disciples to him and he said to them, Truly I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who were contributing to the offering box. For they all contributed out of their abundance, but she out of her poverty has put in everything she had, all that she had to live on. Mom and Dad, what is Jesus, what is Jesus commending here? He's commending a sacrificial spirit, but he's also commending an incredible trust. God's going to take care of me. He will supply. I will trust him for that and give. Her stuff didn't own her, even her two, two small coins. Be sure your kids know that you give as well, mom, dad. Model a giving heart. Let them see your generosity. And not so that they will be impressed with you, of course, but so they will know that this truth is in you and they will be impressed with how God meets the needs of your family, even though you give it away. Ask God to help you think creatively about ways to grow a generous giving, relying on God's heart into your kids. Help them learn to be joyful givers and they will get back way more than they ever give. Is this true? It's true. Eight truths that don't fit in a suitcase. So mom and dad, maybe you'll take this list and, and together sit down with it and you'll, you'll walk through it and you'll, you'll consider, man, are we doing this? And how could we do this perhaps better? And what else could we do that isn't on this page but, but we should do? Ask the Lord for that. How again do the words of the song go that Kassan sang for us? The watercolor ponies are going to one day ride away. 
But in the greater evaluation, as they fly from your nest of love, may they mount up with wings as eagles for his cause. They will mount up with wings as eagles for his cause if they leave home with these truths in their heart. They don't fit in a suitcase, but they fit perfectly in the heart. Let's pray together. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for your word from which all of these things have really come that we've talked about today. And and Lord, I just so much thank you for our dads. Thank you for our moms. Thank you for the responsibility, the, 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 the privilege you have given them to be parents. Thank you for the incredible treasure that you've entrusted to them in the lives of their kids. We want for them, Lord, we want for them to be moms and dads who are, who are incredibly skilled and enabled by you to impart these truths so that when their kids leave home, they have these things in their heart. The world will try to eat up our kids, convey to them an entirely different system of values. But may you win the day as you enable these moms and dads to impart these truths. We love you, Lord. We love you, Father, but only because you loved us first. And we say thank you in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen.